And I'm glad I'm here because, as I told a few people before the service, I'm very surprised that I'm here. Uh, My wife is due with our second child in eight days, and I don't normally bring my phone up here with me, but I have it with me this time around. So if you see me sprint off the stage, you'll know why, because she's not here and she's going into labor. So with that, we're going to continue our generosity series this morning. And one of the most common complaints that all of us are probably guilty of doing from time to time, or that we hear quite a bit from all kinds of different people, is a lack of time. And based on how much so many of us complain, it seems like none of us ever has enough. It seems like we never get any relief from our lack of time. Sometimes we say things like, you know, if I can just get through this next week or this next month or get through the holiday season, then finally my calendar will free up. Finally, my schedule will be a little bit more balanced. I'll have more time on my hands. But it seems like that never really happens. And we're still incredibly busy perpetually. Now, that's understandable with all the various responsibilities that we face. We face jobs. We face kids. We face school. We face paying bills. We face family obligations. There are all kinds of responsibilities that we have, and it's hard to balance all of those things out. And that doesn't even count the wrenches that get thrown into the calendar from time to time when a car breaks down or someone gets sick and you have to take care of them or when you get sick and you don't get as much done as you thought you would. So we stay incredibly busy all the time. Now, there might be some of you out there who say, come on, really, we have time on our hands. We do have enough time. We're just whiners. We just don't have good time management skills. And if you would just stop complaining and watch the clock and make better decisions, then you probably would have enough time. Well, trends seem to indicate otherwise. A study done in the year 2000 said the average American worker puts in 1,878 hours per year compared to 1,716 in 1967. Now, if you take that across the course of a year, that's just over three hours a week more that the average person is working. And that may not sound like a whole lot, but then you take that over the course of a year or 10 years or 40 or 50 years of a career, and that's a whole lot of time that is being spent at work. Another study shows that today's average American gets 2.5 hours fewer of sleep than 100 years ago. Now, that would make sense because we work more hours. Therefore, we have less time to do the things we need to do outside of work. Therefore, we either A, wake up earlier, or B, stay up later. So we're doing more things. We have more work, more responsibilities at times, with less sleep than many of those who came before us. We look at today's technology, and so much of today's technology is made with the idea that this will save people time. This will help people multitask. And yet, if you have a smartphone, you're probably like me, and you know that that technology that is meant to save you time often ends up wasting just as much time as it would save. So how in the world can we be generous with our time if it seems like we have so very little of it? Well, last week we talked about being generous with our finances. And one of the things that we talked about is how there's no set, simple formula for determining who's generous with their finances and who's not. After all, we all have different amounts of resources to work with. For some of us who make a lot of money, 10% really wouldn't be all that generous. There's still a ton of money left over to live off of. 
But for someone who makes a lot less money, 10% is incredibly generous based on what they would have left over to live off of. But when it comes to time, we're pretty much all in a similar boat because we all only have 24 hours per day. Every single one of us. We only have so much time to work with. So how is it that we can be generous with our time when it seems like we have so little of it? And what does it look like for followers of Christ to be generous with their time? Are there things that we should be generous with our time towards and things that maybe we should be a little bit stingy with our time towards? And what should motivate us in the first place? Better time management skills? More productivity? Or is there something more to it? That's what we'll be talking about this morning as we continue this series. We talked about how people are called to submit their wealth to the Lordship of Christ, being as generous as possible out of gratitude for what God has done for us, out of a desire to obey Scripture, and out of a desire to see fruitful ministry happen locally, nationally, and around the world. But time, that's a little bit different. So if you have a Bible with you, open up with me to Psalm 39 verses 4 and 5. We're going to be in several different passages this morning. This is the first one. If you don't have a Bible with you, use one of ours in the chair in front of you or behind you. That'll be on page 400 if you're using one of those Bibles. And if you don't own a Bible, grab one from the welcome desk before you leave this morning. But before we talk about time from Psalm 39 verses 4 and 5, let's pray together and then we'll get started. Father, thank you for all that you've given us. Thank you for the incredible blessings that you've given us individually, that you've given our families, that you've given this church. And God, I pray that we can be the best stewards possible with all that you've given us. That we can submit everything that you've so generously given to us for your purposes and for your glory. That includes our finances and God, that includes our time as well. So, God, I pray that we'll make the most of the time that we have together this morning, that you won't take it for granted. I pray that as we read your word together, as we pray, that it truly would change and transform us from the inside out. That by your grace, that we would leave here different people than we came in. And that every day and every week and every month and every year that goes by, we'll look a little bit more like your son, Jesus. God, we love you. We praise you. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. All right. Well, there are two things that we need to get out there from the very beginning when it comes to talking about time. And some of them may sound kind of basic. You, if you've been in the church for long, you may say, okay, well, I know this stuff already. Do we really need to cover this stuff? But we do if we're going to talk about time. Two things I want to hit on. Number one, God is bigger than time. God is bigger than time. As we've talked about before, part of God's nature, part of what makes God God, part of just who he is, is the fact that he is bigger than time. He is eternal. He always has been. God was not created by anyone or anything. There was never a point where God wasn't. He just is. And I know that's kind of hard to wrap your mind around, but God is truly eternal. That's why God introduces himself to Moses by saying, I am who I am. He just is, and he just always has been, and he always will be. When Jesus is speaking to some people in his time, much, much later, Jesus says before Abraham was, I am, implying that not only has God been eternal, but God in three persons 
has been eternal. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God is not limited by time because he's bigger than time. God doesn't age. He doesn't have to increase his medication. His metabolism doesn't decrease with time. He doesn't have to watch his diet because he is not limited by time the way you and I are. And that's the second thing to know. God is bigger than time, but we're not. That's the bad news. We only have so much time in this life. Look at Psalm 39, verses 4 and 5, that first passage we'll be reading this morning. David writes, O Lord, make me know my end and what is the measure of my days. Let me know how fleeting I am. Behold, you have made my days a few hand breaths, and my lifetime is as nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath. David hits on the idea that we don't last forever. Our lives are like a mere breath. David asked God, God, help me to realize just how mortal I am and that I don't have forever. We read passages in the New Testament like James chapter 4, verses 13 and 14. James gives it the same idea. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. So often we're guilty of the same people that James is critiquing. We're guilty of setting up our calendars and setting up our schedules and making our plans and thinking that we are in utter control of everything. And yet James says, you know what? Maybe you will go to such and such a town and make a profit. Maybe these things will come to pass. Maybe your schedule and your calendar will work out. But always keep in mind and don't ever forget that you have no idea what tomorrow will bring. Your life is like a mist. It's here one second and gone the next. James says, keep that in mind, that you don't last forever. You know, they always say there's only two sure things in life, death and taxes. Yeah, death is sure. And James says that we are like mist. Just like that, we can be gone. We can go old, we can go young, expected or unexpected, peacefully or tragically. Death has been in the national news as of late, as horrible as that sounds. There's been several national news stories I want to hit on. Number one is Lauren Hill. You've probably heard the story of Lauren Hill. Lauren Hill is a freshman basketball player at Mount St. Joseph's University in Cincinnati, like five minutes down the road from where I went to college. And she was diagnosed with an inoperable brain tumor. And she discovered that she has this inoperable brain tumor, that she has very little time left. But her team allowed her to play in her first and last college basketball game. They normally would have played at a pretty small arena. They moved it to a big arena. And tons of people from Cincinnati showed up to this game to get pictures with her or to cheer her on or to raise money for certain medical causes. And she's just had an incredibly huge impact. She's inspired tons of people, even though she knows that her life is like a mist and that her death is most likely coming very soon. But she's making the most of the time she has left. That's one story. Another story is that of Brittany Maynard. You've probably seen this story go viral, especially on social media. Brittany Maynard was 29 years old, had been married for just over two years. But she discovered that she, too, like Lauren Hill, 
didn't have very long left at all to live due to brain cancer, a very aggressive form of brain cancer. And recently she made headlines by voluntarily ending her life with the assistance of a doctor. In the state of Oregon, that is legal. And while I don't pretend to know at all what it's like to be in Lauren Hill's shoes or Brittany Maynard's shoes, I will say this, they've both been crowned heroes. One has been crowned a hero because she made the most of the time that she had left. And one has been crowned a hero of sorts because she chose to die with dignity in her mind. And many people have crowned her a hero without fully considering the ethical implications of assisted suicide and how that might relate to what the Bible has to say about the sanctity of human life and how every life is sacred. But the point is this with these stories. Our lives are like mist, and both of these stories remind us of that. God is bigger than time, and we are not. And regardless of the circumstances of how Lauren Hill will most likely be facing her death very soon, regardless of the circumstances where Brittany Maynard already faced her own death, they remind us that death is a reality. It's a reality that we will all face at one point or another. And we only have so much time. Have a great week. I'm just kidding. All right. With our own mortality in mind, something that we need to consider as we move forward, the next important thing when it comes to time is this. We have an urgent mission that we've been given. That's something to consider as we look at our time and the lack of time that we have in our everyday lives and the lack of time that we have left on this earth. Look at Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, another passage that we have probably read before that you think you probably have down, but it's one of those passages that we would do well to remember. Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, if we really believe the stuff we've already talked about, that we only have so much time left, and if we really believe that this mission truly matters that God has given us, if we really believe in the lordship of Christ and that by no other name are people saved, if we really believe what Scripture teaches about life after death in heaven or in hell, and we know that none of us are bigger than time, I would submit that we should take that mission extremely seriously. Ultimately, we don't know who will be saved and who won't. We don't know who will follow Christ and who won't. And we ultimately don't know how long any of us has left or how long any of the people that we may be trying to reach has left. But the realities of death and heaven and hell and the lordship of Christ should challenge us to make that mission urgent. To make sure our calendars and our lives revolve around that mission. Not that we're somehow fitting it in when we have a little bit of spare time. Or maybe ignoring it because there are more important things to do. On top of that, with this urgent mission, we only have so much time before Christ returns. Look at Second Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 11. Peter uses this crazy, incredible imagery to talk about the return of Christ. But do not overlook this fact, 
beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar. And the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. We read that passage. We read those verses, and we are reminded of just how soon Christ's return could be. That one day everyone will see it. That one day everyone will give account to God. That one day it will have to be looked at and said, okay, who knows Christ and who doesn't? Who is saved by my grace and who doesn't? Who placed their faith in my son and who didn't? And judgment will come. But maybe what's even crazier about this thought of Christ one day returning is that emphasis of just how uncertain we are when it will come. Jesus himself says in Matthew chapter 24, verse 36, But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. In verse 44, he says, Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. We have no idea when this will happen. So if you're in the business of trying to predict it, get out of the business of trying to predict it. We have no clue when this is going to come. But the fact that we don't know when it's going to happen should challenge us to be even that much more prepared. In the passages right around Matthew 24, there are a couple different things that Jesus says. One of the stories that Jesus tells is called the parable of the ten virgins, is what many of your Bibles probably say. And it talks about these women who were given lamps or torches, and they were invited to the wedding celebration of a bridegroom and his bride. But the bridegroom doesn't come quite when they expected. I don't think that's my wife. That's not my wife. Sorry about that. (laughs) The ten virgins, the virgins don't know when the bridegroom's going to be there. And so they kind of get a little bit lazy. They kind of slack off a little bit. And when the bridegroom does come, they don't have any oil. And they're unprepared. And they don't get to participate in the wedding feast. Another story that Jesus tells is the parable of the talents. We've covered this passage before here as well. A master gives three of his servants talents, or he gives them money, and he leaves for a period of time. And he tells them to make the best use of the talents, to steward his talents while he's gone. Two of the stewards, or the servants rather, do a really good job. They make the best use of the time and make the best use of the resources the master had given them. But one of them doesn't. And when the master returns unexpectedly, then the servant, he's not prepared. Speaking of my wife with this whole baby thing, the thought that we don't know when our son is going to be here, the thought that is completely up in the air, that we have no idea when he's going to come, that has challenged me to be even more prepared. I'm not one of those people who says, well, we have no idea when he's going to be here, so why bother planning? I'm the exact opposite. I'm thinking, you know what? We have no idea when he's going to be here, so we better have our stuff together. We better know what's going to happen. And I believe that's what wisdom would have us do with the return of Christ as well. We don't know when it will happen. But I pray that we will be prepared. That we will be using our time wisely. 
dedicating it to the urgent mission that we've been given. And in the verses following, in 2 Peter 3, verses 11 through 14, Peter talks about how that affects the way we live our lives. That we should live in a way that reflects this expectancy of Christ's return and the urgent mission that he's given us. So you put all this stuff together. We only have so much time left before we either A, die, or B, Christ returns, one of the two. We've been given this urgent mission. What's the implication of this? Well, the implication is pretty simple. As God's people, we are called to submit our time to the things that truly matter. Look at Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 17. Paul hits on the idea of time specifically. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. He says something very similar in Colossians 4, verses 5 and 6. In that passage, he says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So, clearly, if we, as God's people, are going to dedicate our time to the things that truly matter, if we're going to walk in wisdom, if we're going to take this mission that we've been given so seriously and we know that Christ will one day return, how do we really decide what matters? What should get the priorities of our time? What things should we be generous with our time towards? And what things should we guard our time against? Because they don't really matter. Well, I would suggest four main areas of priority. Take them, leave them, whatever you want. But four main areas. Number one, time with God. Time with God is never time wasted. Whether that's time in prayer, whether that's time in study, studying his word, Martin Luther once said, I have so much business going on, I cannot get on without spending three hours daily in prayer. John Wesley once wrote, God does nothing but an answer to prayer, and he spent two hours daily in prayer. Now, I'm not suggesting you go spend two to three hours a day in prayer. I don't spend two to three hours a day in prayer. That's really, really hard to do in this day and age. But what I do think we can learn from Luther and Wesley is this. When they were busy... When their time was demanded in lots of different areas, they prioritized their time with God. For us, it's often the opposite. When we get busy, when the calendar gets full, when the schedule gets a little tight, the first thing on the chopping block is time with God. But I pray that we would make it a priority because it is time never wasted. We read the famous story of Mary and Martha in Luke chapter 10, where Martha learns this lesson from Mary and from Jesus that sometimes it's okay to calm down and spend some time with God, even if some things that aren't as important maybe don't get done. Time with God is never wasted. Priority number two, time with others. I would challenge you to make worship a priority. I would challenge you to really look forward to Sunday mornings, to understand the privilege that we've been given to come together and worship God together. I pray that small groups would be a priority for you if that works with your schedule. I pray that you might consider joining a small group and reading the word together and praying with other people and holding one another accountable and encouraging one another. Because time with others, time especially with believers, 
truly matters. And that, too, is not a waste of time. Maybe for you, time with others looks like spending more time with your family. A recent study was done that showed 1% of 15 to 17-year-olds with faithless parents are religious in their 20s. And 82% of those kids will remain actively involved in their faith if their parents attach importance to it. In other words, I pray that we would be ministering to our families, making the best use of the time with them, showing our kids the importance of Scripture, showing our kids what it means to have a thriving prayer life with God, showing our kids what it means to come together with other believers and worship. I pray that we might be doing that because that too will not be time wasted. I pray that you would take time alone. Take some time to rest. Take some time for a Sabbath. Take some time and maybe even do a mini retreat. Go away for a couple hours and reflect, think, examine your life and examine your priorities and maybe even spend some time with God too while you're at it. That won't be a waste of time either. And finally, priority number four, spend some time serving the kingdom. So many of you already are. I see it every single week, and it is humbling to think of how much time people put into this church and put into other God-honoring things. But Matthew 25, right after Jesus talks about not knowing when he's going to return, Jesus places this high emphasis on serving those who are hungry, serving those who are naked, serving those who are in prison. And Jesus says, as you serve these people, it's as if you're serving me. Let's keep that in mind as we look at our time, dedicating time to the kingdom. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, we read this last week, it applies this week as well. It says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and everything else will be added unto you. Now, you might hear this stuff about time with God and time with others and time by yourself and time serving the kingdom. And you might think, you know what? This is all nice advice. This all sounds really good. This is all really helpful, maybe, and challenging. But how am I going to do this? Does this mean I'm going to have to quit my job? I can't possibly dedicate myself to all this stuff all at once. Am I going to have to abandon my hobbies, abandon things that I love doing? Well, my challenge to you for that would be no. But as you go about your daily life, doing the things that need to be done, that you might do them with an attitude of service and an attitude of humility, that you might do them in a way that brings God glory, even though the things that you're doing seem so trivial at the time. I pray that we would submit our time to God in that way. So if we only have so much time before either we die or Christ returns, if we begin given this important mission, that will challenge us to prioritize our time, to be generous with our time towards the things that matter, and maybe be stingy with our time towards the things that don't matter. But that's all well and good. But as I prepared this sermon, I asked myself the question, okay, maybe this is some good advice, maybe these are some good principles, but where's the gospel in that? Where do we find the gospel in this idea of prioritizing our time, of being generous with our time? And as I thought about that and as I reflected on that, the answer that I came up with is this. Being given salvation by the grace of God, not by our own works. Being given the privilege of serving God. Being given the urgent mission that we talk about. We finally have something worth 
devoting every second of our days to, every ounce of our being. So many of us would admit that we spend time doing things that really don't matter in the big scheme of things. And as we're doing these things, sometimes we find ourselves wondering, is this really all there is? Working or living day in and day out, just biding our time until inevitably we won't have any time left. Well, Solomon understood that. We talked about Solomon last week as well. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verses 18 and 19. I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool. Yet he will be master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. Solomon spent so much time acquiring wealth, so much time building influence, so much time expanding his kingdom. And yet near the end of his life, Solomon says, you know what? What was the point? What did I spend all my time doing? I'm going to die and who knows what will happen to my legacy. Who knows what will happen to all these things that I've spent all my time acquiring? It's vanity. I think many of us wrestle with that same question. But then we read 1 Corinthians 15, 58, the last passage we'll read this morning. Paul says, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. It's the exact opposite of what Solomon says. Solomon says, I spend all my time doing these things, and does it really matter in eternity? And Paul says, spend all your time serving Christ, because that's the only thing that does matter in eternity. That's the only time that isn't wasted. I pray that every single second of our days would be submitting to the glory of God. That we would constantly be reminded of the privilege that we're given of being called children of God by God's sending his son to die on the cross for us, his body broken and his blood shed. I pray that that would challenge us to dedicate our time to things that truly matter, to truly take priorities and be generous with those things that do matter and stingy with those things that don't. God asks that we submit everything to him, not just our checkbooks, but our calendars and our schedules as well. Again, this isn't just so that we can be better time managers or so we can be more productive. We do this because we've been given the one thing worth devoting every second of every day to. And that's the mission that he's given us. The glory that we're called to ascribe to him in all things at all times. Let's pray. Father, you have given us an incredible privilege. So often we talk about being blessed with stuff or being blessed with finances or being blessed with those types of things. But those types of things, God, they really don't matter as much as we often think they do. God, maybe the, one of the greatest blessings you've given us is time. The fact that we can wake up in the morning, the fact that we have life, the fact that we woke up this morning and took a breath. And God, I pray that we would never take that for granted, that we would use our time in a way that honors you and glorifies you, that testifies to what you've done for us, that 
when people will look at our lives, they'll see a life that has truly encountered something unexplainable in the world's terms. That people will see our lives dedicated to you and ask that question, what in the world can be so great about God that you would spend all your time doing what you're doing? I pray that our lives would testify to you. God, I pray that we would steward our time well. I pray that we would be dedicated to the things that truly matter and be willing to cut out the things that so often don't matter. God, I pray that we would never forget what it is you've done for us and why this all matters. That we don't do this just to be more productive or make better use of the time, but instead because you've given your son for us. And God, there's nothing else in this life. There's nothing else that lasts into eternity that we can dedicate our times to. God, we love you. We praise you. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. As we close out, Psalm 90, verse 12, talks about, Teach me, Lord, to number my days. Every single one of us, our days are numbered. As we talked about, we only have so much time left. And I pray that you'll leave here this morning knowing Christ, if you don't already. We have no idea when we might die. We have no idea when Christ might return. So I pray this morning that you'll find peace with God through Jesus' blood. That you'll place your faith in him and place your faith in the grace that he shows us by giving his son to die for us. If you haven't made that decision yet, talk to one of our elders. They'll be standing at the sides of the room. They'd be happy to pray with you, happy to answer any questions that you might have. We'll sing one more song and then we'll be done for the morning.